Welcome to this week's Rashi Shear, brought to you from the Bet Midrash of Mizrahi in Melbourne, Australia. Good evening. And so we continue with the story of Eliezer, and we might even get to the end tonight, and that will be exciting. And we are up to Pasuk uh, Nunchet in Perak Kafdalat. So Perak Kafdalat, Pasuk Nunchet, the story so far is that Eliezer has identified Rivka as the right bride for Yitzchak. He's told the story to her family, um, her father seems to have disappeared. Rashi talked about that. And her mother and brother, Lavan, are running the show. And they said, or they sort of said, yes, she can go. Uh, that was in Pasuk Nun, when Lavan said, Lo ra utov. I can't say anything good or bad about it. Here is Rivka before you. Take her and go. But then, in Pasuk Nun, hey, we read, um, <clears throat> let the girl stay for, as Rashi explains, a year or 10 months, and then she can go. But Eliezer replied in Nunvav, no, no, I really want to go now. And then in Nunzayin, they said, we will call the maiden and we will ask herself. And then we get to Pasuk Nunchet, which is where we continue tonight. They called to Rivka, and they said to her, Will you go with this man? And she said, I will go. And Rashi says on that, on Nunchet, It's from me, from myself. And even if you don't want, I don't want me to. So the way Rashi puts it is that Rivka is answering in a very decisive, very independent way, saying, I will go even if you don't want me to. So what is it that leads Rashi to read Rivka's words like this? Well, there's a few possibilities. The first thing is she says, when she could have simply said, she's asked a direct question. Um, which was, will you go with this man? And she could have said, yes, came, yes. But she doesn't. She actually says in a more active form, I will do the following thing. So I'm not even interested in answering your question. I'm telling you what I'm going to do. Point two is the way the question is phrased is odd, because normally we would expect two options. Im ha'ish hazer, im love or not, uh, and that would be a typical structure. But here it's just one side of the equation, as if to say they're not actually asking a question. They're saying ha'telchi im ha'ish hazer. Will you go with this man? Suggesting that perhaps she shouldn't go with this man. Perhaps the idea of her going with this man is is perplexing, is is wondrous, and she shouldn't be going. So rather than set up two options, please pick which option you want. They're saying, will you go with this man, suggesting that she shouldn't. So hence her reply is a very positive, even though you are subtly indicating that you don't want me to go. And there's a third point, which fits very well with the second, which I just said, is it's not, they're not asking a question. Even though in Nunzayan they said, we will ask her, 
in passing Nunchet, what's the verb used? Vayomru, they said to her. So in Yonah Dioma, um, the, the wicked son, the wicked child at the Seder says, Maha avoda hazot lachem. And if you look in the Pasuk, where it comes in Shemot Perik Yudbet, it's preceded by the Yomru Aleichem Benechem. Your sons, your children will say to you. What's the point of your children saying to you? They're not asking a question. They're making a statement. And perhaps you have a similar idea here. Uh, if you put the, the last point with this point, they said to her, will you go with this man? Implying there's something wrong with going with this man. That's the statement. So for all sorts of possible reasons, you can say that she learns that they don't want her to go, which is probably the case. It's why they're, they're playing funny games at this last moment of the negotiations. She senses they don't want her to go. And therefore, according to Rashi, and therefore this Aleh is not just a yes. It's a much more affirmative yes than that. It's a yes. Um, even if you don't want me to go. So then in Pasuk Nuntet, so they do send her, it's all over. They sent Rivka, their sister, and her wet nurse, who doesn't appear in the story ever again, except possibly uh, at the end of Vayishlach. Avraham and the servant of Abraham, Ve'et Anashav, and his men. Um, and Pasuk Zion, the Samach, there's no Rashi on Nuntet, so we'll go straight on the Samach. Be'yavaruchu et Rivka, they blessed Rivka, Ba and they said to her, Achotenu, our sister, At Chayi, you will be Alfe Rivava, to thousands of ten thousands. In other words, you'll have lots of children, Kananahara. Ba'yirash zareich et Sha'ar son of, and your descendants will inherit the gate of your enemies. Where do we see this Pasuk? Where do we use this Pasuk? So it is a bracha said usually at the Bedekin to a Kala, that she should be the mother of thousands of ten thousands, which usually is said as, sometimes is said as a sort of joke. Is that really what, uh, <laughs> what's the ideal thing? Anyway, so the bracha given to Rivka is the bracha given to every Jewish bride, or if, if they uh, if they follow this minhag? What does Rashi say? Um, by the way, Rashi doesn't comment on this bit about the Yerush Zareich et Sha'ar Sonav, but I will refer you to the end of Parshas Vayera at the Akeda, where Abraham is blessed after he's passed the test, and in Kafbet. Kafbet Yudzayim, the Malach blesses Abraham and says, I will bless you and I'll multiply your seed, like the stars of the heaven, the uh, sand of the edge of the sea, and your descendants will inherit the gate of your enemies. So we don't quite know exactly what that means. I don't know exactly what that means, but it's something about being victorious and it's something about very good things happening to your descendants. And it is significant, and we'll see why very, very soon, that exactly the same words are used um, in the bracha to Rivka that the Yerash Zareich et Sha'ar Sonav, that your descendants will inherit the gate of your enemies. So Rashi says on the words, at Chayil al-Feirubaba, at the Zareich tekablu oto bracha. You, 
and your descendants will receive that blessing that was said to Abraham in Ha-Hamaria. What we just saw, I will multiply your seed, etc. Let it be Hashem's will that the, the descendants being referred to there, the descendants of Abraham, will be from you and not from another wife. Now, they've got reasons to say this, by the way, because the patriarchs seem to have a habit of marrying more than one wife. Abraham did. Yaakov did. Yitzchak didn't. So in that sense, the bracha that they're giving her was absolutely fulfilled. But um, it's a interesting comment to Rashi, but I think in a moment we'll, uh, it will make perfect sense. But it's not, they're not saying we're giving you a bracha, full stop. They're saying there's a pre-existent bracha and we want you to be the recipient of that pre-existent bracha. And we want Abraham's descendants to come from you and that Yitzchak should not need to have another wife or maybe in subsequent generations, there shouldn't be other people who will take this role that we hope will be for you. So why do they say this? So I think, first of all, why does Rashi say this? First of all, is what I pointed out and what Rashi himself points out, that the Loshan here, the words here, very much match up with the words that were said to Abraham himself. So it's more than a coincidence that Lavan and Mrs. Batuel, who are not normally prophets, although Lavan did get a message from God, but they're not normally prophets, that it it's, it's, would be a remarkable coincidence if they just came up with the same type of racha, which HaKadosh Baruch himself came up with and gave to Abraham. So it, it's more than a coincidence. So they're referring to that racha. But the key, the key is one word, one little word, the word at, the pronoun you. The uh, Pasuk says, uh, The Torah doesn't use pronouns very often. I was thinking about this as I was like preparing what I was going to say on this very point. Pronouns, um, uh, they're usually like incorporating the verb. You don't need to say ani amarati, you just say amarati. Pronouns are basically used for two things. One is for emphasis, that uh, I'm talking to you, you, I'm talking to you. Uh, and the other, and perhaps this is what's going on here, certainly when Chazal and Medayek, when they analyze the text, a pronoun might be for exclusion. You as, exclu as opposed to anyone else. Now, this verse would have been read absolutely fine without the, the at. Hayila al or I'm not quite sure, maybe la al you will be, um, could have been incorporated into the verb. But to say at is implying you, and the way Rashi reads it, it means you and not anyone else. So you should be the mother of thousands of ten thousands, and your children should inherit the gate of their enemies as opposed to anybody else's. So putting these two ideas together, number one, the remarkable similarity of this phrase that came out of the mouth of Lavan to what HaKadosh Baruch Hu himself said to Abraham, and number two, the use of the word at, which means you and nobody else, we can then see, we can get to the same point that Rashi gets, that the bracha is, that the pre-existing bracha should come through you and not through anybody else. Let's go on. Pasuk Samach Aleph. V'takam rifka v'na'arateha. Rivka and her maidens arose. On the previous pasuk, I didn't see back then also when um, Hashem said the same thing about Vayivash, Zalachayat Why does Rashi not comment on it at all? Maybe he thinks it's not so. Maybe he thinks it's, it's the meaning is obvious. That it means they'll, they'll be victorious. Yeah. 
What's the other one? I don't think anyone does. Okay, yeah. Well, thank you. Well spotted. This is Sonav, and that's Oyavav. So there will be another question. And Rashi does it, this will be a Rashi thing, as I've said many times, where it's similar but not quite the same. We would expect Rashi to come in here, and he doesn't, and I don't know why. Obviously, he doesn't think it's much of a question, even if we do. Okay, sorry not to be uh, better able to answer that. Samachala, Fatakam Rivka Vana Rivka and her maidens rose, the Tirkavna Al Hagamalim, and they rode on camels, the Telachna, and they went after the man, and the man took Rivka and he went. And Pasuk Mem we're now getting into the almost the epilogue, we're getting into the finale of this story. And Yitzchak makes an appearance. Now, by the way, when did Yitzchak last appear? Akedat Yitzchak. Where was he absent from? I mean, from his mother's Leviah. His mother's Leviah. Right? Presumably he would be sitting shiver as well. He doesn't appear in that story at all. Uh, and it's, it's, it's interesting and it's probably significant, but this is the first time he appears. The Midrash, Rashi doesn't actually ask what happened to him. Um, after the Akeda, the Midrash does, and it gives three answers, or one Midrash gives three answers. One, he went to Gan Eden, two, he went to Yeshiva, and three, he was actually sacrificed, or at least two of those are, are very strange to interpret, but in, in, they all mean he was like somewhere out the picture, otherworldly. So what happened in Samach Bet? Yitzchak appears, and this is all about Yitzchak after all. By the way, he's been completely passive in the whole business of finding a wife for Yitzchak. He hasn't been involved at all, and now he appears. Yes? Just going back to Samach Balat, my apologies, and Rashi doesn't comment on it, so... So I'm not going to comment. <laughs> um, but Eliezer supposedly switching from Ha'ish mm -hmm. to Ha'ever within mm -hmm. three words. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know he's had both titles mm -hmm. and stories, but very close proximity to Yes, uh, and this is something Rashi doesn't talk about at all. So, um, and I actually haven't sort of seen anyone talk about that, but I wasn't really looking for it. Um, it could, it just occurs to me that when he's like leading, when he's taking the initiative, he goes and they follow, he's the ish. But when he's basically being faithful to his mission, to his master, doing what he's been told he has to do, which is get the, get the girl, if you pardon the expression, um, then he's back to being an Ebert. Now, I don't know if that works all the way through. We'd have to check. But you're absolutely right. And that's definitely worth observing. What, what's he never called in the Chumash? Eliezer. And only once. Once is enough. But it's interesting. Rashi only calls him Eliezer once. Um, I think uh, we saw that last week. Um, it's a bit about when Eliezer says, Ulai, but he says it as a lie. I think Rashi says that in the name of Eliezer himself. Uh, anyway, but um, it's always worth remembering if you're pedantic like me and you want to distinguish between Rashi and the, the Chumash itself. Nowhere in the Chumash is it called Eliezer. Okay, so, but thank you, Sarah. Um, I haven't got anything more to say on that interesting observation. But back to Samach Bet and my excitement that Yitzchak appears. And what's he doing? Ba mivo be'er l'chai ro'i v'hu yoshev be'eretz ha'negev. Yitzchak literally came from coming at or from, doesn't really, there's, no, there's a preposition missing, be'er l'chai ro'i, the well of the living vision and he was dwelling in the land of the south so what's going on first of all what's Be'er Lachai Ro'i where Hagar went to uh, and we'll see that actually Yitzchak goes to I will mention this now um, at the end of the parsha 
after Abraham dies. Yitzchak. If you look at Kaf Hey Yud Aleph, not very far away. After the death of Abraham, Hashem blessed Yitzchak, but no, his son. At that point, Yitzchak is dwelling with the Be'er Lachai Ro'i. This point, he's not. He's come from Be'er Lachai Ro'i, but he is Yoshef Eretz HaNegev. He's living in the land of the south. So let's look at what Rashi has to say. Uh, now, before we see Rashi on some effect, we have to see Rashi on Kafe Pasuk Aleph. So Rashi... Pasuk Aleph, Kafei Pasuk Aleph. Uh, obviously, I'm jumping, but it's, it's very relevant. But Yosef Abraham, Abraham added, He took a wife and her name was Keturah. And you may be familiar that Rashi says on Keturah, if you look there on Rashi, on the word Keturah, Zu Hagar, this is not a new wife, this is Hagar again with a new name. In, I don't, well, we may get to that passage tonight and we'll talk about what Rashi says there. All we need to know right now is Abraham is about to marry Hagar, according to Rashi. And Hagar certainly is associated with Be'er Lachai Ro'i, as we know. Um, and Rashi says on Samach Bet, He went to bring Hagar to Abraham, his father, that he should marry her. So given that Abraham is about to marry somebody whom Rashi identifies as Hagar, and given that Yitzchak is suddenly in Be'er Rashi connects them and says that Yitzchak is bringing Hagar to Abraham. But that's not the main driver for Rashi. I think the main driver for Rashi is the odd phrase, Ba-Mibo. He was coming from coming, at Be'er In other words, he went to Be'er and came back. So why did he go there and come back? Because he had a job to do. So, and what job does he have to do? Well, if Hagar is about to reappear in the story and Hagar is associated with that place, then Rashi puts those two together and says, the bo mi bo, he was coming from coming from there. So he'd went to there to do that particular purpose. Um, we learnt in... Kaf Aleph Aleph. That Avraham davened for Elimelech, Avimelech, sorry, in uh, the land of the Plishtim, who was, his whole household was not well. And Rashi says that was uh, infertility on steroids, because it applied to all sorts of uh, orifices, were all shut up. But in particular, they, the women in Abimelech's court couldn't give birth, and then they did, because Abraham davened for them, as it says in Kaf Yud Zayin. Rashi says there was much more than just them giving birth, but some of them gave birth. Abraham davened, and some of them gave birth. Then, in Pasuk Kaf, in Perik Kaf Aleph, Pasuk Aleph, we read, the Hashem Pakad et Sarah Kasher Omar. Hashem remembered Sarah and she conceived. And Rashi says there, in Pasuk Aleph, Samach Parashazulakam, the two Parshiot are juxtaposed, the one about Abraham davening, so the women in Abimelech's court could, be, could conceive, and himself uh, and Sarah having a child. 
ללמדך, to teach you שכל המבקש רחמים על חברו, anyone who requests mercy for his fellow, והוא צריך לאותו דבר, and the person needs that, that, that uh, chesed themselves, then the person doing the davening will actually be answered by Hashem first of all. What is Yitzchak waiting for? A wife. But what is he doing on somebody else's behalf? Helping them get a wife. And who's going to get married first? No. Yitzchak's going to get married first. So precise fulfillment of what Rashi says there. So um, Rashi then goes on to say, on the words, Yoshev Be'eretz HaNegev, Kerov Oto Be'er, near to that well. Now, I, I think Rashi, he's going to explain how he works that out, but it's also the case he's not actually at the well because we know later on he's going to live at the well, as I showed you at the end of, the, of this parasha. But he's not there yet. He's Be'eretz HaNegev. So Rashi says it's Eretz HaNegev, which is near that well, but it's not actually at the well. Is Nibor, sorry, is, would that be like the gerund in this case? From coming, if I've, if not, I've translated not, but the coming, like, Yeah, um, yes, I think it would be a gerund. Like, okay. Okay, yeah. but I'm, I'm nervous. Don't, I'm not going to sort of put money on it, but no, I, that's I think... okay, I won't. <laughs> yes. I won't cash out on it. You've got to be careful every time it's recording. <laughs> yes, it's recording. <laughs> so coming, does it... Rashi understands it to mean that this is like one specific journey. I think so. As opposed to like regularly. Yitzhak, yeah, regularly. I, I think that's clear because he said, Shahalach lahavi hagar. Okay. I think those words in the perfect tense imply it was a one off. Okay. okay. Would you understand it as like he came from coming, like that it was a regular appearance? Like, I, I don't think you can read that in Rashi's words. No. And I would go further to say you, you read the opposite in Rashi's words. But without Rashi, maybe yes. Right. Yes. Okay. okay. But I think it's, uh, I think Rashi, these words, um, I think is to imply, but not actually at the Be'er. And I think the problem that Rashi is aware of is, as I said, that in, where was it? Kafheyud Aleph, then Yitzchak go, well, I'm reading it as Yitzchak then goes to be Be'er So he's not there yet. And the Torah, you see, there, I, I, I'm on strong ground because there it says, Vayeshev Yitzchak im and here it says, Vayeshev Be'eretz HaNegev. And if they were the same place, they would be the same description. They're not the same descriptions, so they're not the same place. But then what does it mean? But what does it mean? That it means Korok. I mean, just by the way, I won't go into this, but I'll just mention that uh, I think um, Yitzchak, uh, there's a lot to say about Yitzchak uh, uh, and often on the fact that there isn't much to say. In other words, there's so much in the Torah about Abraham and so much in the Torah about Yaakov. Yitzhak seems to be the bridge from one to the other, but he doesn't do very much. And the things that he does, particularly in Pasha Tolda, are entirely a repetition of what Abraham did. And the Torah seems to stress. He digs the same wells that Abraham dug. He calls them by the same names that Abraham did. He does the wife is my sister trick, just like Abraham did twice. Um, but perhaps you can say that he's quite otherworldly. Uh, and that's uh, the, the, the three Midrashic answers I gave before about what happened to him after the Akeda, why he vanishes after the Akeda. Somehow, he, after from the Akeda onwards, he, he's not so involved in worldly matters. This isn't the only interpretation, but it, it's one. And that perhaps connects him to Bela Chairo'i, because that's a place where God himself appeared. So that might be the attraction for Yaakov to be there. But anyway, according to the way I'm reading the Pasuk, and according to the way Rashi's reading the Pasuk, he's not actually there yet. He went there to get Hagar, and he's come back. Now he's Yoshev Be'eretz HaNegev. Rashi says, Korov Be'er, How do I know that the Negev is near that well? 
because when the well is referred to, no, sorry, because when Abraham journeyed, Misham Abraham when Abraham left near to be near Saddam after Saddam was destroyed, Abraham moved to the land of the Negev, Vayeshev ben Kadesh uben Shur, and he uh, dwelt between Kadesh and Shur. Okay, Vasham Hayahaber, and that was where the well was. Shneemar Hinei ben Kadesh uben Bared, as we learn in Tetzai Yudalad when that well is uh, described, the well is between Kadesh and between Bared. So let's put this together. There's somewhere called the South. And in the south, Abraham is between Kadesh and Shur. And the well is between Kadesh and Bored. So they're nearby. But actually, you can go further. Because if you look in Perak Half Pasuk Aleph, see how Unculus translates Shur. Half Aleph. The Yisamisha Abraham, Arza Hanegev, Yeshev, and Kadesh, Ben Shur. And Uncle. Says, Unatal mitaman Abraham la Aradroma, Abraham went to the south, Bayetev, and he dwelt, Ben Rakam uben Chagra. So Chagra is the translation of Shur. Got it? Now look at uh, the Onkelos on the description of the well in Tetzai and Yudalad. In Tet Zion Yud Dalat. Arkein Kerala Be'er Hinei Ben Kadesh Uben Bored. So it's a different place. Kadesh is the same place. Bored is a different place. Or is it? Because if you look in the Onkelos, Arkein Kerala Be'er the Malach Kaima Itchaze Ole Ha Ben Rakam Uben Chagra. So actually, it looks like Bored and Kat and Shor are the same place. At least they are according to Unclus. Either you can say, let's not use Unclus. And between Kadesh and Shor is close to between Kadesh and Bored. They're, they're obviously nearby. Or you can use Unclus and say they're very close. So Abraham in the south, who's between Kadesh and Shor, which Unclus says is Chagra, is in the very much the same vicinity, not the same place, but the same vicinity as the well, which is between Kadesh and Bared, which is translated as Chagra. So they're in the same vicinity. So Rashi uses those two Pesukim to show that the well is near to where Abraham was, and Abraham is in the south. So that's why Rashi, Rashi is using this to explain his opening words on this word, that the, where Yitzchak was dwelling was Karov Laoto Be'er, near to that well. I think we're ready to pass it Samach Gimel. Vayetze Yitzchak lasuach basadeh lifnot arev. Yitzchak went out. What does suach mean? Talk. To talk. A sicha is a talk. Dusiach is a conversation between two people. Or is it? Is there any other interpretation that could be? Davening. Is there anything else it could be? If you look at Bereshit, uh, at the very beginning of our story, Perak Bet Posset Hay. So Hashem has made the world and he's made the whole Siach Hasadeh. What's a Siach Hasadeh? Tree. Tree, shrub, something, something growing. It's a bush. A bush. It's a bush. Okay. So, 
says the Rashbam. Yitzchak went out to look at the trees in the field to do his, like, uh, checking on his estate. And perhaps that explains Rashi's need to say, So I think Rashi's working on it to like two levels. Number one, he has to say, it's not siach as in tree. He, he's pushing that one aside. Um, even though it's got good uh, pedigree because the Rashbam himself says that's exactly what it is. Number two, he's, I think, alluding to the Gemara in Brachot Kaf Vav Ahmed Bet, which says that we learn from this that Yitzchak instituted Tefillat Mincha, because after all, it is Lifnot Arev, towards evening. And then it says, He lifted up his eyes and he saw the camels were coming. And uh, the Rashi doesn't say this, and the Chumash doesn't say this, but it is said that he was, what was he doubling for? A wife. And look how quickly he is answered. By the way, again, this isn't Rashi, but I'll just mention it because it's sort of on my mind, that continuing the theme of Yitzchak being a bit otherworldly, what's, what do we see him doing? Davening. And by the way, what time of day? Mincha time. What is special about Mincha? Somehow, why is Mincha, in a sense, more precious than Shachris or Marif? And I'll tell you why. Because you have to stop what you're doing. It's in the middle of your working day. When he's out in the field, you stop what you're doing. You connect to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That's the power of Mincha. Unlike Shachris, where you haven't done anything yet. Unlike Marev, where you're not going to do anything else. I mean, roughly. But Mincha has to be in the middle of the day. Of course, you lose the whole effect when you put Mincha and Marev together, as many shuls do. And it becomes like one unit. But if we didn't do that, if you have an opportunity to stop what you're doing, join the Minyan for Mincha, or if you can't find a minion, anyway, double mincha, and then resume what you're doing. It's, it's, it's like really removing yourself from the physical, busy, mechanical, mercantile world and getting close to a Baruch Hu. And that's what Yitzchak does. Anyway, so I sort of interrupted. Rashi says, Lasuch is Loshon Tefillah. Let me just finish. And he proves it in the way the Gemara does. Kamo, Pasuk from Tehillim, Yishpoch Sicho. If you look at the whole Pasuk, um, it's about a poor person speaking to Hashem and pouring his sicho. And it, it's obvious in the context there, but it's talking about prayer. So Rashi says, in this case, tzuach is an expression of prayer. That's what Yitzchak was doing. Yes, Jacob. Um, it's not Rashi, so I don't know if you want to answer it as well, but and I'm just very curious. Um, how does Rashi answer, I guess, because like the um, in regards to filler, like if he doesn't read it as tzuach, if he reads it as trees, how does he then answer, like what the Gemara says? It's like going against the Gemara, I guess. Uh, I can answer that clearly. That the Rashbam in his parish on the Chumash is giving what he calls Shat, the simple meaning. The Gemara and the Midrash give other meanings, which the Rashbam is incredibly respectful of, but that's not his task when he's writing his parish. Now, Rashi has a similar mission, but Rashi interprets his idea of Shat more broadly. And, or, or maybe differently, Rashi believes that you need the Midrashim to explain the Pshat. The Rashbam does not. Uh, if you look at the beginning of the Rashbam's parish on Pasha Bayeshev, that's where he famously says, I talked to my grandfather about this. And it says, he agreed with me that if he were writing his parish today, he wouldn't use so many Midrashim. And my teacher, Rabbi Bravinder, said, I think Rashi was joking. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, 
So, but, but that's the answer to your question. <laughs> Certainly the Gemara says it means davening. And very nice, the Gemara says it means davening. I'll tell you what the Pasuk means. The simple shot of the Pasuk. Okay. So he's davening and he sees the camels. Pasuk Samach Gimel. Oh, we've just done that one, sorry. Pasuk Samach Dalet. Vatisa Rivka et Eneha. So now the motion, the, the focus goes back to Rivka. If this were a film, you can just see how the cameras move and the focus. It's actually beautiful. It's, it's, it's a beautiful story. We've had all this effort and we've, the Torah has given us all this detail so we can learn from it. And now we're coming to the conclusion and they're on the camels and Yitzhak's davening and he sees them and now she sees him. Let's see what happens. Vatisa Rivka et Eneha. Rivka lifted up her eyes. Vatera et Yitzhak. And she saw Yitzchak, the Tipol me'al hagamal. What did she do? Well, you might think it means she fell off her camel. Rashi says she didn't, as we will see. But some want to say she fell off her camel. Now, why did she fall off her camel? Or why did she, what did she see? And please note, in Samach Hay, the very next verse, Vatoma ela eved, miha ish halazer. Who is this person? who's walking in the field to meet us. The servant said, he's my master. Ah, so only in Samachay is she told that it's Yitzchak. So just bear that in mind when we see Rashi's comment on Samachay. Yes. But he says it's my master, but his, the master, the one who sent him, was not Yitzchak. Okay, good point. So he's obviously not referring to Abraham. So it must be that he understands that he belongs to the family. He's Abraham's servant, but Yitzhak is Abraham's son. Somebody, um, I, I don't think of uh, uh, some non-Orthodox uh, comment I just saw said, maybe this shows that Abraham had died. Uh, and now Yitzhak's inherited Abraham's wealth. Yeah. That's very hard to say because in the very next chapter, Abraham's alive and kicking and he has six more children. So I don't think that's the answer. So I hear the question. I think it must mean that Eliezer identifies as the servant of the family. Okay. So look at Rashi on Samach Dalet. The Torah et Yitzchak. She saw Yitzchak. Ra'ata oto hador v'toha. She saw his splendor and she was amazed or she was wondering. And my book says, other books have the verse, have the word utmeha, which means more she was in wonder. She was like wondering as like, what's going on? Toha is just sort of a bit more, wow. So she sees his hador. She sees his splendor. Why does Rashi have to say that? Precisely because of what I just I showed you. She doesn't know who it is. So she can't be reacting because, oh, this is the guy I'm coming to marry. Because she doesn't know who it is. So she sees something which is like amazing. And that causes her reaction. And that's what Rashi says. Ra'ata oto hador. Um, oh, uh, and she was in awe of, of him. Now, by the way, in the next verse, as we just saw, she says, um, Now, if you look in Rashi, his comment to Daniel, Daniel Chet Tet Zion, where the word Lahaz is, uh, Halaz, sorry, Haben Halaz is referred to. And Rashi there says on that word, 
halaz, loshen chashivot. It's an expression of importance. Komakom shenema halaz, baltsurahu. Wherever somebody is described as halaz, that one, he's a person of tsura, of, of, of form. Umikan lamduba agada. And from this we learn in Midrash, Yitzchak nitmala aviv, betselem udamut. Yitzchak resembled his father in, in, in image and in another word for image. Shenikra ha'ish halaz. Um, because he's called this man in our Pasuk here. So Rashi there in Daniel says, when you call somebody halazer, you're showing that they are important. And you're showing in this case that Yitzchak has the stature of Abraham. So we assume by this that Abraham was also pretty impressive to look at. We know elsewhere, Rashi says, that Yitzchak actually resembled Abraham, but in the face. This is telling us that Yitzchak resembled Abraham more generally. And, and that sort of fits in with the idea that he's somehow resplendent in his glory. Um, and that's what Rivka can see. Okay, so then the Tipolme al Hagamal says Rashi, Hishmita atzma la'aretz. She slipped herself to the earth. Katargumo, as it's translated by the Targum as the itrachinat, which means hitta uh, atzma la'aretz. She inclined herself to the earth. And she didn't reach the ground. So don't think she fell off her camel. She sort of slipped a bit, but deliberately she was in control. She inclined herself. I'm still not quite sure what this means. As I was thinking how to say this, one of you is going to say, well, what does it actually mean? Like, where, is she still sitting on the camel or is she like off the camel? Uh, has she like moved to sit side saddle? I don't exactly know. But Rashi makes the point clearly. He's saying two things clearly. Number one, she's doing it. And, and the rest of this Rashi will reinforce that. It's not, it's not accidental. And number two, she doesn't reach the ground. Now, why does Rashi say this? I think there's two reasons. One is the very pedestrian reason. It doesn't really make sense for her to fall off a camel. Um, and, and be no mention of it. Like the next passage, it doesn't say, oh, and Eliezer lent his hand and picked her up and dusted her down. But more to the point and more, perhaps more seriously, if somebody falls to the ground, we know what that looks like in classical Hebrew. The tipol aritza. That's what we would expect. She fell to the ground. It doesn't say she fell to the ground. In more in general, she doesn't say she fell anywhere. It doesn't say where she fell to. So if you read the Tipol as she fell, then she would have to land somewhere. But it doesn't say she landed anywhere. So that's why Rashi says that the Tipol doesn't mean she fell to the ground, but it meant she inclined herself in that direction. And then he brings lots of examples. Well, a few. Kamo, hiti na kadech. So from our very pasuk, incline your jug, which is translated by the Targum with the same word as he uses here, arkini. So the fact that the Targum of our one is itrachinat, uh, and the Targum of incline your jug is arkini. So we see that what Rivka was doing here was also inclining. Another example, the yet shamayim, the heavens inclined which is in Shmuel Bet, which is also translated as the arcane, same Aramaic word. Lashon muta la'aretz, it's an expression of being inclined to the earth. Vedomelo, and another example of yipol in this sense, 
Pasuk says he will fall, but he won't be taken away. Kulamar, im aretz, as if to say, in that Pasuk in Tehillim, if somebody inclines to the earth, lo yegia ad hakarka, they won't actually reach all the way down to the earth. So by showing the use of the Targum, comparing how the Targum translates our verse with other examples and bringing another example as well, Rashi says that this is all about inclining rather than falling. So she didn't fall off a camera. Um, okay, what does she do? Pasuk Samachay. We've seen this before, we'll say it again. She said to the servant, Who is this person? Who's walking in the field to meet us. It's interesting. This isn't Rashi, and I haven't got an answer for this, but the description of Yitzchak on Samach Bet was he was Basadeh. Sorry, in Samach Gimel, he was Basadeh. And she also notices he's Basadeh. Maybe there's some significance there, but Rashi doesn't say so. Who Adoni? The servant said, He is my master. She took the scarf and titkas. What does titkas mean? Rashi says, Loshan the titpael. It's in the hitpael binyan, which means it's reflexive and passive. Um, she was covered. Kamo. And then Rashi gives two more examples, not of exactly the same binyan, but the same passive voice. Kamo vatikaver, she was buried, or vatishaber, it was broken. So they're both passive, they're actually um, nifal, um, but this one is hitpael, and it means she was covered, or she was, yeah, she, she was covered. Um, uh, I think Rashi wants to refute the idea that you might think it's a root, tof kaf samach, which is another word for covering, and then there's one tet, to make it uh, third person future feminine with the valve puts it into the past, which would mean she covered. But Rashi says, no, by, make, by telling us it's, it's hit by El, both texts, sorry, both tufts are part of the addition to the Sharesh, and the Sharesh is Kaf Samach Hay, the Hay's dropped down. So he wants you to know that it's the Sharesh of Kaf Samach Hay, which means to cover, and the Titkas means she was covered. Um, I, I, I'm happy to say that's what Rashi's doing here without going into further depth. Yes? Is that a binyan that is used today? Uh, I'm not going to answer that because I don't know okay. enough binyan about which binyan, binyanim are used today. Okay. Like it's it's not hit pael, it's a passive hit Yes, pael. I see what you mean. Yes, it's a passive hit pael. Well, he calls it tit pael. Maybe that's, maybe that was my mistake to call it hit pael. It's a passive tit pael. It means she was covered. She was covered. Herself. That's she what Rashi's saying. Was covered. Yes. Okay. How does our scroll translate it? She covered herself. She covered herself. Well, that's funny because that's really not what Rashi's saying. She was covered. It also says hit by L as well, not hit by L. As like in oh, okay. English. Right. But the I and I I'm I'm pretty confident in what I'm saying, partly because I've seen it, but because the, the other examples are precisely they're not hit by L, yeah, they're not hit by L, they're passive. Mm. So interesting. Hmm? So what? What? Is, who did the action? Someone covered her. Oh, well, she covered her, but but that's not how the Torah presents it. The the, the result is she was covered. It just says third person feminine singular hit by L. Yeah. We she covered herself. She covered herself. Okay. Yeah, the note goes to what you were saying about reflexive hit by L. Yeah. Um, hit by L thing. But not passive. Um, passive. Oh, hey, she says that in note six there. 
It is like the mountains of Farah that they are all passive verbs, but it causes in the reflexive hit Yeah, I, I think, and I'm pretty confident on this, and maybe I will disagree with the article, that he's saying it's passive. So you're right. So then it's a, it's a binyan, which is a bit uh, complex. Uh, and the, the passiveness is emphasized by Rashi's last two words, which are definitely passive, which are definitely nifa. Mm -hmm. So why is he comparing a hippel verb to a nifel verb to tell you that it's passive? But presumably she did the action, but we don't really yes. care about the process. We care about the end result. Exactly. I think that's the point. Okay. Just by the way, again, sorry, there's so much to say about this. I'm going a little bit off, off Rashi. Um, the Emek Devar is the one who says, she fell off a horse, she fell off a camel. And the Emek Devar says, she sees this majestic personality and she's totally in awe of him. And she feels the tremendous spiritual distance between him and his elevation and her and her lowly origins. And that's why she falls off the horse because she's like out of control. And that's why she covers herself because she feels there's a barrier between him and her. And then the Ebedavar goes on to say, if you look for the whole Pasha Toldot, there's no communication between Rivka and Yitzchak. It's actually quite remarkable um, that Rivka never goes into Yitzchak and say, oh, listen, by the way, you think the bracha should go to Esau. Let's have a chat about it because I'd like to say perhaps it should go to Yitzchak. She doesn't to Tiakov, she doesn't do that. And actually, to me, so I'm, while I go on the subject, the, the most remarkable example of this is at the end of Parsha Tolda, just after we've had this most dramatic event in the entire history of the family, which has got repercussions to this very day. Um, the borrowing, the theft, the deception that Yaakov engineered under Rivka's instructions. And she tells Yaakov to run away because Esau wants to kill you. And then she goes in to see Yitzhak. And the most dramatic events have just happened. The family's fallen apart, the ultimate dysfunction of the family. And she says, I think it's time for Yaakov to have a wife. Maybe we can find a wife for him uh, in Lavan's house. At that moment, she doesn't discuss with Yitzhak the most obvious, overwhelming event that's just happened. Says the Emekdavar, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu brought this about so that they couldn't talk to each other, so that Yaakov would get the bracha by means of deception, because that was part of the ultimate divine plan. And you see the roots of their disconnection here in these verses. Anyway, back to Rashi. Next verse says, The Ebed, the servant, related to Yitzchak all the things that he had done. And Rashi says, perplexingly, He revealed to him, the Eved revealed to Yitzchak, the miracles that had been done to him. That the earth contracted for him. We learned earlier that he got to um, Haran very quickly. That Rivka appeared to him in his prayer. In other words, immediately after his prayer. And we talked about this earlier, because we brought this passage to see so to shed light on something else. It is odd that according to Rashi, going on the words of, he related what he had done, what Rashi then spills that out, spells that out to be things that were done to him, that he found the earth contracted for him. He didn't contract the earth, and he didn't make Rivka appear. Hashem made Rivka appear. So a couple of things to say. So one thing is, we talked about this when we brought this passage earlier. Maybe you can say 
that miracles happen for somebody who really, really deserves them and really, really doesn't for them to happen. So the miracles that happened to Eliezer were a function of what Eliezer did. They were a response to what Eliezer did. And from the miracles, you can sort of learn out what he did, number one. Number two, um, I saw the suggestion that the word be a saper is used in relation to relating miracles. Now, I haven't checked this, um, but at the beginning of Parshat Bo, we don't have a Shemot Chumish here, at the beginning of Parshat Bo, we do have a Shemot Chumish. So this is a good example, and um, I suspect it's typical. That go to Paro, so I, Hashem, can put more signs. Uh, I can do more, like, plagues and things. And in order that you can saper, you can tell your children uh, and your grandchildren what I did in Mitzrayim. So, again, I haven't checked throughout the... Tanakh, um, but the suggestion is Sipur is in relation to telling miracles. Sipur Yitzir Mitzrayim, as opposed to, there's another verb to tell, which is Lahagit. And it's not Lahagit here, it's a Saper. So maybe because of that, Rashi says, what did he tell? What miracles did he tell? Ah, I'll tell you what miracles he told. But I also saw another explanation, which I think is a bit hard in a sense, but is very good in another sense. Who's the subject of Asa? The Ebed, the servant, related to Yitzchak all the things which he had done. Who's he? So naturally, you'd say it's the, the previously named subject. That's the problem with pronouns. And that's what the Mephoshim often have to help us with pronouns, because pronouns leave ambiguity. Normally, you would assume, and, and that's why I said it's a bit hard to um, go along this line, but you'll see the, the effect of it. Normally, you'd assume that the pronoun refers to the previously named person. So the previously named person is however or possibly to Yitzchak, for Yitzchak, that's not going to work. But who else could be the subject? Hashem. Hashem. So it's a bit hard to say that the subject is Hashem, because Hashem hasn't been mentioned. But if you do say the subject is Hashem, then the problem falls away. If you read it as, What did Hashem do? These miracles. Works very nicely. Okay, we've just got time for the next Rashi, which is one of the most well-known Rashis in the Chumash. Yitzchak brought her into the tent, Sarah Imo, of Sarah, his mother, and he took Rivka, and she was to him as a wife, and he loved her, and Yitzchak was comforted after his mother, i.e. after the death of his mother. Now, first of all, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful conclusion of the story. Secondly, we noticed he marries her and then he loves her. And it's worth pointing out, uh, sorry, I'm not here to give people relationship advice, that's not my field, but in the uh, modern world, and in fact, in every fairy tale, it's always the other way around. He loves her and then he marries her. And that's the end of the story. For us, the marriage is the beginning of the story. And maybe you love before, but certainly you love after. And that's what we see with Yitzchak. He took her, he, she was his wife, and then it says he loved her. Uh, so the marriage is the beginning of the story. It's not the end of the fairy tale. But let's see what Rashi says on the words, Pa'ohala Sarah Imo, to the tent of Sarah, his mother, Ha'ohala, 
he brought her into the tent, dugmat Sarah and she became a model of Sarah, his mother. Kulama, as if to say, he Sarah Imo. Behold, she is, she was Sarah, his mother. And then he goes on to say how that was indicated. But let's just understand the textual problem that Rashi is identifying. And I have to confess that I mistranslated the words deliberately. The words are how do you translate ha'ohala Sarah imo? You read it naturally as a smichut, as a construct, the tent of Sarah, his mother. However, you can't do that because when you have a construct in Hebrew with a definite article, the hay is on the second. Okay. Um, trying to think of a good example right now. Sefer Torah. Sefer Torah, which is the scroll of the Torah. How do you say the Sefer Torah? Sefer HaTorah. You don't say HaSefer Torah. That's bad. It's Sefer HaTorah. So if you've got the hay at the beginning of HaOhala, the tent, uh, the hay at the end makes it to the tent. One of the occasions Rashi doesn't say this. Rashi repeatedly tells us that a hay at the end is equivalent to a love at the beginning. He doesn't tell us that here. But nevertheless, the hay at the beginning means it can't be read as the tent of Sarah, his mother. So how do you read it? Yeah, Yitzchak brought her into the tent, Sarah Imo. And Rashi spells out exactly what it means. Go back to Rashi. So Rashi is telling you how to read it. That, that, those words is not Midrash. Those words is the Pshat of how you read the Pasuk. You have to read it as he took her into the tent, comma, she became, you have to add those words, Sarah his mother. It just sounds very... Um... Freudian? <laughs> okay, but that's not what it means. It's not what it means, because just in case you were thinking like that, Rashi goes on to say, I'll tell you how she became Sarah, his mother. All the time that Sarah was alive, there was a candle burning from Friday to Friday. And there was a blessing found in the dough. It's not clear what that means, by the way. Did it taste nice or was there like a lot of it? Either are possible. But Anan Kashur al And there was a cloud attached to the tent. Where else was there a cloud attached? Anan Kashur? Maria. Rashi said there that uh, Abraham saw Anan Kashur, a cloud attached. Umisha Meta. And when Sarah died, Pasku, it all stopped. Ukashabat, Rivka, and when Rivka came, Khazru, they came back. That's a quote from the Midrash. So that's how, not the Freudian way, that's how she became his mother, because she restored these miracles to the tent. Now, as far as I know, there is no source in the text for those particular three miracles. Rashi gets them from the Midrash, but it's worth pointing out. You can see them, I think, in at least two ways comprising a totality. Number one, uh, relating to this week's parsha, which is Vayaka Bakude, they remind us of the Mishkan. So in the Mishkan, not in the Kodesh Kadoshim, where nobody could go, but one level behind that in the Kodesh, there was the Shulchan with the Lechem upon him, with the bread. And opposite that, there was the Menorah. And on top of the Mishkan, there was the cloud. So Sarah's presence made the ohel, the tent, into the Mishkan. 
uh, acute vort is to say, we can all do that to our houses as well. We don't have to be sorry, Emmanuel, that we can bring in the light and we can bring in the blessing and the bread and we can bring in the holiness, which is um, represented by the cloud. We can bring it into our houses. If Sarah and Abraham could make their house into a mini version of the Mishkan, then we can do too. Which brings me on to the next interpretation. The Mishnah in the second paragraph of Shabbat identifies three mitzvot which are particularly related to women, which are um, taking challah, halakha anerot, and hilchat nida, ayitarot mishpacha. So clearly, the bread relates to taking challah, the light relates to halakha anerot, tarot mishpacha is called tarot mishpacha because by observing the laws of nida, one brings purity and kudusha into one's home which is then symbolized in this case by the cloud on top of the tent. So it's also nice to say that these three issues relate quite beautifully to the three mitzvot which are identified with women. The Maharala Prague explains these ideas. He actually makes the point about the, um, actually the point I just made about the three mitzvot. Um, and then the Maharal does something that he does from time to time. The Maharal defends Rashi. Um, particularly against the questions by the Ramban, um, and he will answer in Rashi's defense. But there are times when he will tell Rashi off. When does he tell Rashi off? When Rashi doesn't quote Chazal properly. The Maharal's uh, mission is to defend the words of Chazal, always. He writes the, the Go'ariya on Rashi because Rashi is often quoting Chazal, and it's like a good vehicle to explain. By explaining Rashi, he's explaining Chazal. But where Rashi deviates from Chazal, the Maharal says, you shouldn't have done that. And the Maharal points out that in the, Mishra, in the Midrash, there are not three blessings, but there are four, or three characteristics. There are four. There's a fourth one, which Rashi didn't mention, which is that all the time Sarah was alive, the tent was open wide in all four directions. And Rashi doesn't mention that one. And the Maharal says he should have done, and he says there's, there's brilliance in the words of Chazal, as there always is, and there's a reason for the four descriptions four for the maral is like always is totally encompassing because it's the four sides of a, of a square uh, and then he explains how each of these four things match up to the four things that hashem promised abraham at the beginning of lechacha and they're fulfilled in sarah's tent but we don't need to go there now um so my question is the maral's question why didn't rashi bring this fourth one so um, I haven't actually seen, well, uh, there's a little bit of discussion, especially because the Maharal asks it, so some of the others try to answer it. Um, but first of all, it's true that, uh, you know, on the one hand, Russia doesn't need to bring any examples. And as I said, none of the examples, as far as I can see, come out of the text itself. So Russia's giving you like a, a, a smorgasbord of some examples. Um, and perhaps he feels three's enough, he doesn't need to go to four. But we, the, the fourth is qualitatively different from the other three. First of all, the other three fit the paradigm of what I said about the Mishkan. Secondly, the other three fit the paradigm of what I said about the three brachot associated with three three mitzvot associated with women. Thirdly, um, the fourth issue about the tent being open wide is, is qualitatively different because it's not a miracle. Anyone can make the tent open wide, just open the doors. These three are miracles. So they are clear evidence from Hashem that there's something special about Sarah. Now Sarah's died, but Rivka can restore that something special. But if you want the tent open wide, just uh, roll up the sides and which also brings to another point these three are particularly related to sarah who's more involved with opening up the tent to guests abraham, abraham. so i think that rashi might be thinking it doesn't like this third, fourth one i don't need to quote Khazar because it doesn't quite fit the nature of 
what was the dogma of Sarah, which went and came back with Rivka. Okay, we will stop there. We've got a little bit more to do on Samach Zayn, and that concludes this chapter. And then we've got a little bit more to do on the Parsha. We will stop there. Mr. Shem, we'll meet again next week. Thank you. Thank you.